These days, the mere sight of a mattress left on the street is enough to make your skin crawl. But the fear of bedbugs is justified. The blood-sucking insects are a growing problem in New York City. In fact, not even the city's most iconic building is safe. Bedbugs were recently found at the Empire State Building. Good morning. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. This morning, we're focusing our attention on bedbugs and other pesky critters, including one that's been described as a cross between a swine and a rat. Being from Brooklyn, we are not accustomed to seeing these animals, and I actually had to go on the Internet and Google it to find out what it was. Pests in the city, this morning on Cityscape. Glad you're with us. My name is Igor Lezebnik. I live in Ridgewood, New York, which is in Queens. We had a mouse. My roommate and I found that he made a convenient home for himself in the rice that we kept in the pantry. Lately, we have had a few cockroaches, seemingly out of the blue. Tourists aren't the only ones who love New York City. You love New York City, and of course I love New York City too. But according to a new survey, bed bugs love it too. The Big Apple tops a list of 15 cities that are in the midst of a bed bug infestation. And extermination companies specializing in ridding your home of these creatures are in big demand. Cityscape's scholar Srivastava spent some time with the Bronx-based Freedom Pest Control. Ten years in the business hasn't changed. Owner Cesar Soto de Leon's mind. He says he's still got a passion for these tiny critters and actually raises them in his home to understand what makes them tick. These are five newly hatched bedbugs. I breed my own bedbugs. In this jar, I may have about 30 bedbugs. They're actually breeding inside now. So what are bedbugs? They're small insects that hide in cracks and crevices of buildings which humans frequent. Why there, you might ask? Well, bedbugs live near humans because our blood is their favorite food source. And to get rid of them can cost you money, pain, and suffering. There's also plenty of misleading information out there, from the stigma of having an infestation to what you can do about it. I spoke to entomologist Lou Sorkin at the American Museum of Natural History. He says bedbugs are arthropods and their unsavory abilities allow them to find you. They really are stubborn. They really don't want to move if they're digesting their food. If they're hungry, they're more apt to move about. And of course, they're picking up on your carbon dioxide that you exhale. Why carbon dioxide? That happens in a lot of the arthropods because that's what their normal host exhales. So they can find you and the heat from your body. And that's two of the main attractants that gets them to you in order to feed on you. He adds they're incredibly adaptable to heat and to cold and can stay undetected for a long time. Sorkin is also a friend of Caesar's. They'd met at a pest control meeting about six years ago. He was very passionate about his work and understanding the bed bug biology. He contacted me because uh, the bed bugs he'd been keeping had not done so well and he needed more bed bugs in order to train his dog. Dogs can seek out and find possible infestations because of the bed bug scent. Sorkin says this smell peculiar to bed bugs is a spicy odor, and some even say it's similar to the smell of Dr. Pepper. Trey, you ready to work? You ready to work? You ready to work? Ready to work? 
Caesar says his five-year-old beagle named Trey was the first in the state to be certified by the National Entomology Scent Detection Canine Association, or NSDECA, in 2006. He says that's something clients should ask for when hiring a company with a dog. He demonstrates Trey's skill by hiding bedbugs in a couch and giving the command. Find the bees. Find it. Show me. Show me. When Trey finds the bedbugs that Caesar has strategically hidden in the couch, he sits at the exact location and paws at the area. I spent the day in Queens with Caesar and his team on one of his extermination calls. His clients, a couple who's been inundated with bedbugs but didn't find out until just recently. The stigma attached to bedbugs is so powerful it leaves people unwilling to be identified. For the purposes of this piece, we're going to call this couple the Joneses. We've been feeling quite overwhelmed. It's, it's incredibly disruptive, sort of stops your life. Especially my wife has been bitten for about a month. She wakes up with bites and they're terribly itchy. And when we finally saw a physician said, I think those are bed bugs," you know, you'd think, oh, there's bugs, well, have an exterminator, but the amount of effort you need to get rid of them is, is really amazing. As he inspects the Joneses' house, Caesar told me bedbugs are lazy, unsocial, and very, very crafty. If they were criminals, they'd be pretty hard to catch. As you can see on the bottom, where the carpet meets the wall, bedbugs love to hide in those little edges. So that little crack, that little crevice that you see, that's the place where they would hide. We need to get to all the harbored sites some of this will be books, fabric, cardboard, all these places. We can't apply chemicals on the books. We can't apply chemicals on cardboard. So this is why we want to treat it in some fashion and then remove. After his initial inspection one week ago, Caesar said the client has to remove everything from his entire living space except large articles of furniture. These items are then heated in special bags called pactites. They're then transferred into other bags for at least two weeks. And as Ed tells it, clothing and linens are another story. We had to take every article of clothing. We went to a, a giant laundromat and spent two days, basically, having six or eight dryers going at once and drying them because that's what kills them. All of our clothes are in plastic bags for two weeks. As you can see, everything we own is in the middle of room. We've been doing this for the last four days. Our life has basically stopped until this is done. And getting it done is going to take another month at the minimum. Caesar says the next step is to lubricate or loosen the hold that the bed bugs have in the room and on the furniture. It involves a special spray. There are some oils and things that come from Mother Nature. We don't want to give out the exact ingredients that we use because that's like our little secrets. But the reason why we're going to lubricate everything is to loosen the grip of bed bugs. Because if we just vacuum without any type of spraying, they're going to grip and cling on to the surfaces. I don't care what vacuum you use, you're not pulling a bed bug off some fabric with a vacuum. But the vacuum is an important part of this process. When a bed bug lays her eggs, she's going to lay them with a sticky substance. That's like a crazy glue for bed bugs. Wherever they lay those eggs, those eggs stay put. Now we come out with the heat machines and we start heating. This is where other guys drop the ball. According to Caesar, it is the combination of heat and chemicals that confuses the bed bugs. Well, they don't know what's happening. They're going to die where they are or they're going to be lifted in the vacuum. We are now at the final phase. It's a pressurized tank. 
we pump it and then we apply our chemicals. So it's toxic to the insects. And a week later, these bugs start dying. That's what we call a residual. So unfortunately, we're gonna ask you to leave. The client must leave the premises for a minimum of two hours, letting the chemicals do the work. But there's still another problem of eradicating bed bugs. It's the stigma attached to having an infestation. Clinical psychologist at the American Institute for Cognitive Therapy in New York City, Dr. Simon Rago, says people are reluctant to alert their friends and neighbors, and it could be a big reason why bedbugs have become such a huge problem. Then they aren't treated rapidly by exterminators or precautions aren't taken, and then they can spread through cracks and crevices. And I think it's this commonly associated idea that to have bedbugs mean you're, you're somehow living in squalor or dirty in some ways, or don't have the proper hygiene routines. So people become quite embarrassed as a result. And what is the actual fact? Fact of the matter is they don't discriminate. If you are rich or poor, African-American or Caucasian or Latino, they will find you. He also explains that sometimes people who've suffered the trauma of bed bugs can still undergo a type of fear called entomophobia or bug phobia. We're all to some degree evolutionary programmed to be conditioned to a fear. And certain people, they had this issue with the bed bugs. And then even after they're cleared up, their worries and their fears tend to persist, usually based on the idea of whether or not they'll come back or really been ridded from their apartment. But the good news is that Dr. Rago also says it's one of the easier anxiety disorders to tackle and can be overcome through cognitive and behavioral therapy. Back at the Joneses, two hours have passed, and Ed Jones has a few more questions for Caesar. Okay, so you're coming back in two weeks, and everything we have, keep it in bags, but can we, like, put it back in closets in the bag? As long as the bags stay closed, I'm good wherever you put them. Okay, but don't vacuum. Exactly. No mopping, anything like that. Oh, okay, okay. What we want to see when we come back is your stuff still in bags? Yes. Away from the walls, and then we're going to put the second treatment down. At that point, Mm -hmm. you're going to start unpacking. We got you. The Joneses still have a way to go, another treatment, and perhaps even a third one. But for them, it's worth it. They say they feel they've done all they can. As for Caesar, he says he'll continue ridding New York City of these incorrigible pests as long as he's needed. For Cityscape, I'm Skylar Srivastava. Bedbugs spark all kinds of reactions in people. Physical, itchy bumps on the skin. Emotional, even a speck of lint on a pillowcase can trigger a panic attack. And for at least one New Yorker, artistic. He goes by the name of Rye, and I recently talked with him about how his creativity helped him cope with a two-year battle with bedbugs. Rye, good morning. Welcome to Cityscape. Morning. Hello. Have you ever had bedbugs? Yes. Yes, I had bedbugs. Where were you living when you had them? Uh, I was living in Alphabet City um, in the East Village, and I had bed bugs, I guess, about three years ago is when they started, and it took almost two years to fully get rid of them. It's um, really frustrating to try to deal with them because they are such tenacious creatures. How did you realize you had them? Uh, I had been waking up with bites, but didn't know what they were. Essentially, one night, I'd gotten up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and on the way back from the bathroom, you know, turned on the light in my room and just saw one on the wall. And I had read something recently about them and thought, wow, that's interesting. Bed bugs are back. Who knew? You're saying it took two years to get rid of them. Talk to me about that process. There are people who have to fight with their landlords to get rid of them and have a lot more trouble than I did. And even so, I mean, it did take two years. Essentially, what happened was... First, everything I owned had to be washed and bagged, uh, clothes, anything textile. 
Then um, we had a, a, an exterminator come in, lay down poison. Then we caulked up every crack that we could find, so every single hole in every baseboard. Then I lived out of you know plastic bags for about a month. Finally got everything back out and living my life again normally for a few months and then found them again and then essentially repeated that step four or five times over two years. You really do have to take everything that you own that they could possibly be in books, wooden things, anything, and clean them or put them away. And then you have to poison and then just hope that you've gotten them. Anything that wasn't necessary that they could hide in or on ended up getting discarded eventually. Did you feel the need to blame anyone at all? Were you looking for a culprit? How did this happen to me? How are these in my apartment? I tried not to, to blame anyone, but you do get a real sense of sort of anger at nothing. You know, it, it is a, it's a very weird experience because although you know they're not actually disease-bearing or anything, you just feel gross and, and somehow dirty that they're there. I mean, I definitely was angry, but it was hard to be angry at anyone specific. I mean, they could have come in through another apartment. They could have come from me because, frankly, I did bring furniture off the street and things like that, never a bed, but I found out they can live in anything. It's definitely a frustrating experience. Did you try to keep it a secret from a lot of people? I didn't tell anyone that didn't need to know. Anyone who decided to come to my house, I eventually felt like needed to know. And that kept some people from wanting to hang out at my place. Then again, my brother came by a couple times a week for the whole two-year ordeal, and he never got them. It does seem like it's a, a fairly random situation whether you end up with them or not. You mentioned feeling angry, but talk to me more about the psychological impact of having bed bugs. How badly did it mess with your mind? I ended up having bed bugs, so did my girlfriend at the time through an unrelated situation, but we both now, years later, have bed bug dreams whenever we're stressed, and you can't not see them everywhere. You know, any piece of lint, anything that you find in your bed, for a moment, you're always terrified that that's going to be bed bugs again. My girlfriend to this day will cross the street if she sees a mattress on the ground. They psychologically take you over for quite a while. You're an artist, and I understand you found a way to work through your emotions while you were dealing with bed bugs, right? At the time, I was doing a lot of street art, and what I ended up doing was as soon as I started talking to other people and looking online and realizing that there were so many places in the city that had bed bugs and yet so little oversight as to actually you know, protecting people from them, I, what, I, what I put together was a little stencil that ended up looking sort of like quarantine signage um, that had a, an image of a bed bug and the word, you know, bed bugs on it. So I would go around and buildings that and blocks that I knew were infested, I would try to um, spray with this quarantine type image to sort of warn people there's bed bugs here, you know, just, just be aware of that. Part of it was cathartic in that I felt like I needed to honestly sort of lash out at something, the city, I don't know what. And part of it was a public service that I really felt like people deserved to know and to be on alert to, to deal with these things. The funny thing that I found was that, uh, like, like I said, you know, bedbugs do carry a stigma, and people did not like this image. I ended up you know, putting that image on buildings that were covered top to bottom in graffiti, uh, and by the very next morning, you'd find just one spot scrubbed out, just that bed bug image. Someone had come by in the morning, seen it, and, you know, gone to it with a piece of, you know, with a bottle of paint remover and left everything else intact. There's did that really surprise you? Uh, it did surprise me. I guess I didn't expect people to be quite so observant, maybe. Um, 
you know, especially buildings that are covered in graffiti already usually sort of get left alone. But instead you get this ugly little red smear where there used to be a bug, almost like the ugly little red smear that bed bugs leave if you squish them onto your bed clothes. Uh, conversely, a lot of people who've had bed bugs have seen them and really have, have gotten in touch with me and said they, they really loved the image and loved what had been done. In addition to your stencil art, I understand you also made posters with bed bug images. I did. It was it was the same image, um, but put onto um, posters that could be quickly put up onto buildings and signs and things like that. It's just a pretty standard street art technique. Sounds to me like a form of vigilante art in some ways. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I guess you could call it that. It was definitely what we like to call street art. Other people like to call vandalism, um, but. I wanted people to be aware of this thing, and I wanted them, uh, honestly, to feel a little bit of the fear that I had felt. So, yeah, I guess there's some vigilante element to that, um, a sort of sense of, of righting a cosmic wrong somehow. Do you think there will ever be a market out there for bedbug art? <laughs> I don't know how much of a, you know, a real status symbol bedbug art could necessarily become. That said we're going to hear a lot more about them and we're going to see a lot more sort of pop culture interpretations of them because by all accounts, they're spreading over the whole country. They're going to be a real issue everywhere very soon. Rye, thanks so much. Thank you. Rye is a New York City artist who let his creative juices flow during a two-year bout with bedbugs. Good night, sleep tight, don't let the bedbugs you're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Boldarki. This morning, pests in the city. My name is Man Lee, and I live in Brooklyn. The worst pest experience I've had in New York City was once I was walking home, and a pigeon flew overhead, and then I felt something on the back of my jacket. And so I figured pigeons were overhead. I figured they pooped on me. After that experience, I, I hated pigeons. I don't, they're not cool. I don't, I don't like them. My name is Sean Roosh, and I live in Brooklyn. Our old apartment had a lot of roaches. They got pretty bad. Like, if you flipped on the light in the kitchen in the middle of the night, you'd hear them, like, scurrying. Don't leave your food on the table. Why, honey, why? Because of those roaches. Our next guest knows a thing or two about unwanted visitors in your home. He's the chairman of the entomology department at Rutgers University, Dr. George Hamilton. Good morning. Good morning. When it comes to household pests, which three would you say are the most egregious? I'd say right now uh, bed bugs would probably be number one in most people's minds. I'd say termites are probably number two, and then either cockroaches or uh, carpenter ants, depending on whether you're an apartment dweller or own a house. The first two, of course, I would imagine can cost you thousands and thousands of dollars to eradicate. Absolutely. And in fact, at least with termites, we spend billions of dollars a year in the United States controlling and repairing damage from termites. A lot of people see spiders as pests, but they eat other insects. Should we That's learn correct. to live with spiders? Most people have more, probably have more spiders in their house than they realize. Really? People probably come in contact with them a lot in their basement. 
and in the, the corners behind furniture and so forth. A high number of them, you should get rid of them, but a couple here and there are probably not doing any doing any harm. Most of the uh, spiders that we find in our homes are, are not going to be venomous. They're not a black widow. They're not a brown recluse spider. And, and so, you know, other than being an annoyance, they're, they're, they don't do any damage. As an entomologist, do you think you have a higher tolerance for household pests than the rest of us? My wife would say that. I don't have a problem with a lot of insects, but then I don't have cockroaches running around my house. I will not tolerate carpenter ants, and uh, I won't tolerate termites. I read an article in the New York Post back in January about stink bugs invading homes in Brooklyn. I understand Mm -hmm. you had your own stink bug infestation at your home in New Jersey. I have them in the wintertime. I don't have them at levels like most people do. I get one or two of them we find find in um, our upstairs during the wintertime. But there are people out there that have hundreds of them. Hundreds? In their homes all the time during the during the uh, during the winter time so they seek out warmth in people's homes yeah they're, they're coming indoors um, they their natural um, behavior is to overwinter in protected structures and in Asia where they are native to they do exactly that there as well um, they're coming indoors they're looking for a warm place to uh, spend the winter they don't do any damage um, that we're aware of. They're just hanging out there. And then in the springtime, um, when it gets warm, they, they start to look for ways to get back outside of the house. And a lot of people, actually, that's when they encounter them. For people not familiar with the stink bug, first of all, what does it look like and why is it called the stink bug? Okay, well, it's about a, the adults are about an inch and a half in, in length. Um, they're back looks like a five-point shield. So they're also sometimes called shield bugs. They're called stink bugs because when they're handled or something tries to eat them, they, they give off an odor as a uh, response to predation. And what does it smell like? Well, it varies depending on who you talk to. Some people think it's a nasty smell. To me, it smells like what I call a green leaf volatile. If you take a green plant and break a leaf or whatnot and smell it. There, there's an odor there. Um, I may be habituated though to it because I have them, I actually have rear them in my lab and it's one of the insects we study. So what's the best way to rid your home of the stink bug? Well, first thing we tell people to do is look for obvious places where they can come in, inside. Uh, you have gaps around windows, they need to be caulked and sealed. If you have attic vents that don't have screening, um, you need to put screening over them, a fine mesh. That'll also help with getting, keeping a lot of other insects out of the attic. Well, the other thing, too, depending on where you are, some people have air conditioners in the walls, and if they don't uh, cover them in the wintertime, that's an avenue for them to come in very easily that people don't realize. After that, you can't have an exterminator come in and... and Spray materials. But they don't smell on their own. They only smell when you smash them, right? Well, no. Um, if you pick them up, they'll release the chemical. Um, if they're disturbed, they can release the chemical. Besides the stink bug, what pests do we have to worry about entering our homes that are fleeing the cold weather? Well, there's several of them. Uh, probably the one that most people were aware of before the stink bug was the Asian ladybug. It comes indoors to spend the winter in large numbers, like the stink bug does. Um, another one would be the box elder bug, which doesn't 
come inside in as big a numbers as the other two. And the last one that some people um, complain about that we get calls about is a relative of the stink bug called the Western conifer seed bug. If you had to make the decision to spend thousands of dollars to get rid of a pest or live with it, which pest wouldn't be that bothersome for you to live with? Wouldn't be that bothersome? Right. Um, Carpenter ants, most of the time their nests are actually outdoors. They're just coming in to forage for food. The other one that I wouldn't spend thousands of dollars on is the marmorated stink bug. Everything else, fair game. Get rid of them. Termites, termites, absolutely. I'm not sure I'd spend thousands, but bed bugs are something that you you need to get rid of uh, because you will eventually um, end up in therapy. <laughs> yeah, or that and giving them to other people. Yeah, then, which is usually how people get them in the first place. They go to some place that's infested and they pick them up in their luggage or on their person, and then they bring them home with them. All right, Dr. Hamilton, thank you so much for your time. No problem. Dr. George Hamilton heads the entomology department at Rutgers University. Up until now, we've largely been focusing on pests of the insect variety. But not all unwanted critters in New York City are creepy crawly. Some have fur, sharp teeth, and long tails. And no, we're not talking about rats. We were frightened originally. Um, If you ever seen them, they're ugly and they have these beady eyes. And it was about 15 pounds. Being from Brooklyn, we are not accustomed to seeing these animals, and I actually had to go on the Internet and Google it to find out what it was. And what Marty Elias Pavia found out is that opossums are alive and well in her Brooklyn neighborhood. Cityscape producer Marlene Chin has more. Legend has it that explorer John Smith named the opossum after describing the creature as having the head of a swine and the tail of a rat. Today, the less-than-attractive animal is found rooting through trash cans across New York City. Brooklyn resident Andrea Galasso caught a glimpse of an opossum, only it was far from a threat at the time. It was uh, crushed by a car, and uh, the thing that really surprised me was the size. I always thought that opossums were uh, small. I imagined like a, a cat size the most. Instead, this guy was uh, bigger than my daughter. Though opossums look like rats, they aren't rodents. In fact, they're related to the kangaroo and koala bear and are the only marsupial in North America. To learn more about these pesky critters, I caught up with a guy who knows a whole lot about them, Jim Burhini, the director of the Bronx Zoo. When a female possum gives birth to the young, they're very small. They're about the size of a little bean or maybe a, a honeybee. And as soon as they're born, they crawl into their mom's pouch where they nurse for several months. At that point, they'll come out and all ride as a gang on their mom's back. So how did this member of mammal wildlife make its way to New York City? Originally, the the opossum that we see here is called the Virginia opossum, and that's because originally they were found more in southern states. It's thought that as a result, they're very opportunistic, so they kind of do well around people because if people leave food outside for their dogs or cats or they, they're uh, opportunistic in the sense that they'll go through trash and looking for food to eat. So they tend to do well when they follow human activity. As humans have settled and developed land and, and moved out into suburbia, the opossums have followed them and, and really kind of thrived. So would an opossum ever bite or attack a person? Um, yes, but the person would really have to put 
themselves in, in harm's way. And of course, I mean, there's there's the off chance that an opossum could, you know, have some sort of disease or whatever that would change its personality, but they tend to be fairly resistant to rabies. Are opossum known to be considered pests? Opossums, like so many other animals, are in this situation where they're in competition with people for resources. But, you know, that's part, that's, that's part of living in an area where animals, you know, where animals are. And they're apparently not fussy about where they live. Staten Island resident Ivan Wong found an opossum in a very unlikely place, under the hood of his car. When I got home, I smelled some kind of burning. I drove my car again, I parked the car, and I opened the hook. There was a big nest, like a bunch of leaf underneath the hook. So we removed the leaf. It was a big person staying inside my car, and he was looking at me like, you know, he wanted to bite me, you know. He was looking at us like, why you bother me? This is my house, you know, why you push me down? An opossum under a car hood is sure to give anyone a scare, but even in a more natural setting, they can be a startling sight. It was a creature hanging from a tree branch by a tail, and it was just staring into the window. That's Andrew Sarion of Queens, who says his sister was the first to spot the opossum at 3 in the morning. So she naturally just freaks out and just calls for everyone in the house because she's swearing this is some sort of demonic entity that has come to take her children. So if you see a creature with the head of a swine and the tail of a rat, you're better off calling animal control, not an exorcist. For Cityscape, I'm Orlean Chen. And that's it for this week's skin-crawling edition of Cityscape. I'm George Bolarki. Remember, you can get past editions of Cityscape and learn how to podcast the show at WFUV.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're listed as WFUV's Cityscape. My thanks to senior producer Scholar Srivastava and producer Morlene Chin. Have a great weekend. 